Are y'all ready for the word? The word, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will mess you up. No, what did it do? Make you free. Does anybody even know what we're talking about? Love. Does, is that important? Why would that be important? Jesus said they, we, they, they, the world would know us by our what? By our love. I, I had... Before I got born again, I had a neighbor who was a Pentecostal. I guarantee you I didn't get saved because of him. He's one of the, he, he's one of the meanest people I have ever met in my, he just mean. And, and yet he was witnessing to me. And I thought, well, I, I don't know what you got, but I don't want it. I already got some of that. I got as much, I got more meanness than you, but, and I don't want your meanness. But you know, it's amazing to me how as a born-again Christian, we tell people about Jesus, but they look at our life and go, well, I don't see anything in there I want. We have to literally work on our love walk and be different than the world. You have to work on it. Now, if faith works by love, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, wouldn't it be important that we work on our love walk? Yes, it would be. And, uh, well, we talked about divorce a while ago and remarriage. And it's amazing how the enemy will come in and try to tear everything up. And, we, and sometimes we help him out a little bit. Well, we're going to talk about that today. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, we're going to read it again. Love suffers long and it's kind while it's doing it. It does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not act rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. And we're going to talk about that today, is not provoked. Now, I want you to think about this as I read this. When I read my Bible, there are times when I will read a scripture, and it don't make a bit of sense to me. I think, oh, it's not provoked. Just don't provoke me. Just don't make, you know. And, and you don't really, you haven't studied it enough to think, what in the world does he mean by it's not provoked? Well, I went through a time where I would read my Bible and we've all done this in order to say we read our Bible. And I would read 1 Corinthians 4, you know, 13, 4 through 8. And honestly, at the end of two or three months, I still didn't understand anything I read. Have you all ever done that? You're reading it going, I don't know what I read, but I read it. And some of these words are, are kind of weird, not provoked. I mean, we don't talk like that anymore. Don't provoke me. We don't talk like that. So what does it mean, not provoked? It means to have a good temperament or to not have a bad temper. Now, I know some of y'all have no bad temper. You're even killed all the time. You're nice. You're fun to be around. You're never hard to get along with, and I'm in the wrong church. No. Has anybody else in here ever had a little trouble with their temper? Okay. I'm going to read something to you. So I'm in the right place, right? I want to read something to you because I got this book from Mark Hankins, The Greatest Thing in All the World by Henry Drummond. This book was written in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And someone gave it to Mark Hankins. He read it. And it made him so mad, he threw it away. 
It's not easy to read a book on love without it looking at you and going, boy, I got to make sense. He, so this is what Mark said. No one can live like this. And he threw the book in the trash. Well, he went and dug it back out because he realized that definitely wasn't love. But I'm going to attest to you that he made a statement. He said, I read the love scripture every day. And hanging around Mark and Trina, hanging around people like Kenneth and Gloria, hanging around men and women of God, you can see they literally do live it. And, and so our goal should be us too. Let's, let's you and I get to the place where we live this, especially since we want a better life. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read and I'm not trying to cheapen my sermon by reading a book. But I want you to know that sometimes people will say things a certain way that I can't say what they said the way they said it. And I want the impact to hit you like it did me when I read it. So I, I, and I'll be, I'll be brief. A good temper. The next ingredient in, is in the love walk is a remarkable one. Love is not provoked. Nothing could be more striking than to find it here. We're inclined to look upon bad temper as a very harmless weakness. We speak of it as a mere infirmity of our nature, a family failing, a matter of temperament, not something to take very serious account in esteeming a man's character. And yet right here in the heart of the analysis of love, it finds a place. The Bible again and again returns to condemn it as one of the most destructive elements in human nature. This particularly ill temper is that it is the vice of the virtuous. Now, I'm going to read to you what that means, but let me explain to you what that means. There are people that their character is impeccable. They're good people. When you get around and you say they're definitely Christians, they definitely love God, except for one small element, they have a bad temper. And the Bible calls it the vice of the virtuous. It is the one area that will take a perfect character and trash it out. All right, now let me read this to you. It is often the one blot in an otherwise noble character. You and I both know men that are all but perfect. And women who would be entirely perfect except for easily ruffled, quick-tempered, touchy dispositions. This compatibility of ill temper and high moral character is one of the strangest and saddest problems of ethics. The truth is there are two great classes of sins. There's the sin of your body and the sin of your disposition. The prodigal son can be taken as a type of the first. The elder brother, he's the second. Society has no doubt whatever as to which of these is the worst. The brand falls without a challenge on the prodigal. But are we right? We have no balance to weigh one another's sins, coarser, finer, or or but in human words. But faults in the higher nature may be more serious than those of the lower. And to the eye of him who is love, a sin against love may seem a hundred times more base. No form of vice, nor worldliness, nor greed of gold, nor drunkenness does more to unchristianize society than an evil temper. For embittering life, breaking up communities, destroying sacred relationships, devastating homes, withering up men and women 
for taking the bloom of childhood, in short, for sheer gratuitous misery-producing power, this influence stands alone. What a powerful thing to say. So he mentioned something in the book about the prodigal son. So do me a favor. Let's go to Luke 15 and let's study what did the story of the prodigal really mean. Now, let me ask y'all a question. How many of you have ever had a bad temper? Okay, everybody raise your hand but Bob. That's amazing. (laughs) How many of you just lied? Okay. Okay, Bob, get your hand in the air. All right. I will tell you this, and I've made a statement before to you, that even though I'm the pastor of the church, I pride myself in being moral. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I only cuss occasionally on I-4. You Yankee, get out of here. All right, go home, you know. Especially when people doing 45 and a 65 in the left lane and they've got traffic backed up about three miles and they have no idea anybody's on the planet but them, you know, and they're about to cause an accident, you know. That's when I want to go, okay. But other than that, I'm going to tell you all something. I would say this is the one area that I've had God to deal with me. And I did the same thing I just read to you. I took it as not that big of a deal. And that's where the danger lies. And I told you the story one time about, you know, Lisa, my wife, her, her, her upbringing was different than mine. And the Leggetts are very perfectionist people. I mean, everything's got to be just right with them. And so Lisa's temperament sometimes would make me mad. And I told the Lord one day, I said, Lisa made me mad. And he said, no, Lisa didn't make you mad. You got mad all by yourself. And that's when it started dawning on me, nobody can make you mad. You're getting mad because you chose to get mad. And that was when I stopped and started looking at myself because of this. And just just listen as I say this. As long as you can blame someone else for your faults, you will not change. Well, I'm from New York. No, that's not why you act the way you act. I'm Puerto Rican. We're Italian. Are y'all out there? Did you go home? As long as it's not my fault, then you're not ever going to change. And that's where the blame gaming and the blaming in America and the world, the world right now, everybody is mad. And if you don't watch it, you're going to get mad with them. There is nobody ruling your life but you. So we're going to talk about this because this is deadly. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. All of us have got to start working on this issue. Love is not provoked. 
There are people who may provoke you, but you've got the choice on what you're going to do about it. And we're going to talk about how to do that today. Amen. So in the story of the prodigal, I want you to look at Luke 15 verse 1. Because we've read the story of the quote-unquote prodigal son for years and never had anybody tell us why Jesus even told the parable. So let's look at the first one. It says, all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained and said, this man receives sinners, he even eats with them. Now they're making an accusation against Jesus because of the type of people he's running around with. Now let's, think, let's take this out of Bible and let's bring it to today. He's talking about people with green hair, a hundred earrings in their left ear, wear solid black shirt, solid black pants, solid black everything, and they look like something the cat drug in the dog wouldn't eat. Y'all got any friends like that? You got any family? You know people like this. He's talking about sinners, but, but he's talking way more about sinners. The Pharisees copped an attitude of self-righteousness when he, when he was trying to help them. I have a philosophy, and I would like to say I'm 100% good at it. I'm not, but I'm working on it, and I'm better than I used to be. Anytime I meet somebody, I don't care if they're good, bad, or ugly, I always remind myself, this is a man. Jesus died for this man. Whether, whether he's a good man or a bad man or just ugly, he doesn't need to adjust my attitude. My attitude needs to be that toward this man, period. All right. Jesus is addressing this with the Pharisees. So he tells a parable here, and it starts off, and I'm not going to read it, verse 3. So he spoke a parable to them saying, then um, in verse eight, he told another parable about it. And then in verse 11, he told a third parable dealing with the attitude of the Pharisees. So we're going to read this one in its entirety because you've got to read it to understand what it was he was attempting to say. Let's go. A man had how many sons? Two, not one. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided to who is livelihood? Them. Say them. Who got? He, this man owns either a farm, a plantation, or, or he's a landowner. He's a very wealthy man. When the younger came to him, and in other words, this man, when he dies, the farm and all the wealth will belong to the two boys. But one of them came and said, I don't want to wait till you kick the bucket. I want mine now. So it doesn't say that he gave the prodigal his inheritance. It said he gave both of them their inheritance. Now, now, who owns the farm? They both do. 
All right, now one of them took his money and he left home. We all know this story. We've heard it on radio and television all of our life. Verse 13, not many days after that, the younger one grabbed his bags, money and goods and his iPad and he left for a far country and he wasted all of his possessions with, with wasteful living. Prodigal means wasteful. He wasted it. And when he had spent all, that means he's out of money, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. How, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat, to spare, and I'm perishing with hunger. I'm going to arise, I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like a hired servant. He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a far way off, the father saw him and had compassion. The word compassion is the same Greek word mercy. He ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. And he goes into this big spill uh, 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 trying to apologize and the father pays him absolutely Absolutely no attention. And the father said to the servants, you bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and be merry. This my son was dead and alive again. He was lost and found and they began to be merry. Do you see the heart of God? Yeah. What he's talking about here is that God the Father, Jesus is explaining to the Pharisees that God the Father is a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. When a sinner comes home, then he restores that person back to the place that they, that they lost. He's not counting up our sins against us. That means that when you and I came into the church and someone gave an altar call, we came forward that day and he washed all your sins away. He, he completely... Then he restored you back to sonship. He put a ring of authority on your finger and shoes on your feet. And the robe is a robe of righteousness. That means you're back in right standing. You're not going to be a servant to me. You're my son and I'm taking you back as though you never did anything wrong. And we all know this story. We've heard this story a hundred times. But this is what's going on here. That the, that the lost is found and God is having compassion. But yet remember he's talking to the Pharisees who don't think they like this very much. So the story goes on. Um, for, it says, now the older son was in the field. Why? Working, right? Whose farm is it? Why is he working? No, he, he has the mindset of a servant. He's a son, but he sees himself as a servant. The dad already gave 
the boy the farm. He could go in there and sit. He could, he could just watch TV all day or play iPad. It doesn't matter. He's got servants to do all this. But we see that the older son is out working like a slave in the field. He's already proved he's got a wrong mindset. How many Christians do you know, though they got born again, though the Bible says he has given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's already given you the kingdom of God. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but you find yourself working for the blessing. You find yourself toiling in life, toiling in the kingdom of God. You treat God like a taskmaster, even though he's already given you the kingdom. Do you understand, and I'm going to kind of blow your little mind right now, and I hope I do. Do you understand that when you got born again, you stepped into eternity? Did you understand Jesus made a statement? He said, if you believe in me, you shall never die. Do you understand that there is a day coming when we will all go into the millennial reign together? But did you know that you have a God-given right to bring the blessings of that into your life now? So what what does God have that he hasn't already given to you and I. Nothing. He didn't, he restored you and I to sonship. Let me quote a couple of scriptures here. I want you to look at this. I just want you to see a couple of them. Uh, I just, matter of fact, just hold your place there. Let me, let me read these to you because I want you to, I want the impact to hit you uh, Real, real good. I want you to get it and go, woo. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, is hath past tense, present tense, or future? It's past. He hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. When? When? Now. What do you have now? Everything. The farm's yours. The kingdom's yours. Not going to be someday. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. You have a right to go into the throne room of God already. You have a God-given, blood-given right to walk into the throne room and get anything you want, even if it's impossible. Do you even believe that? All right, let's read another one. Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ's seed, if you are Christ, you're Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. When does this heirship begin? It already began. When did you become heir? When you made Jesus the Lord of your life. Do you understand the problem with the older son. Now, let me make a statement to y'all. We have, a, we have a vast majority of Christians on the earth today that have no idea what I just said. They are in defeat, 
trying to talk God into a blessing. I even had a man come to me the other day and said, oh, you're one of those name it, claim it, blab it, grab it preachers. I said, yes, I am. I said, all intelligent people are. It's not my fault that you can't read. I mean, folks, think about this for a minute. If somebody looks at you and says, you're already a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not coming. See, you'll never die. Now, you may fall over. And I'm going to tell you what death looks like for a Christian. You just get up one day and, you, and you're in the bed and you turn around and you get out of bed and you look around and you go, who's in my bed? Whoever it is, they're kind of overweight. Oh, my God, it's me. And you look over there and there's an angel and he's going, come on. And you're going, where are we going? You're going, you're going home. And I'm going, oh. And you walk away. That's death. That's all it is. You, you have eternal life. You have eternal life. You're not going to when you die. You have it now. Okay. Colossians 1.12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light and hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath placed us in the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. All right, now let's come back over here and look at this prodigal boy. And the older son was in the field, and he came and drew near the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and says, what does it mean? And he said, your brother's come, and he's received him safe and sound. Your father killed the fatted calf. And he was angry, and he wouldn't go in. What's he doing? He's pouting. He's sulking. He's a pouty baby. I want you to listen to what he says. His father comes and pleads with him. Come on in, your brother was dead. And he, said, he said, you never even, I've been serving you. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you serving me? I'm gonna, I've got to read it, I've got to read it. Because you've got you to get this. He said, lo, I've served you all these years. Why? What's he doing, Mabel? He's in the field serving it's his farm he's already got all the money we read that so what is he serving he's working he's working my god i've been coming to this church for 25 years I've been in every service and I don't miss. I put my tithes in this church. And then somebody comes walking in here with green hair. And the next thing you know, God heals their body. And here I am, an usher in the church. I'm faithful to God. I've been serving the Lord all of my life. And I can't even hardly get God to answer my prayers. I've been walking around with this bursitis for 10 years. And then this kid comes walking in with green hair and earrings in his left ear and earrings in his right ear, earrings in his nose, and God knows where else. 
and God saves him and heals him and fills him with a Holy Ghost. And here I'm sitting over here in this church and God treats me like a stepson. I can't believe God to do that to me. You know, the hardest people on the planet to deal with are Christians. Most difficult people in the world. The most unhappy people in the world are Christians who go to church. I'd almost rather y'all backslide just, just one week and then repent so you can find out you ain't all that. <laughs> and look at this kid's attitude. What a pouty baby. Ain't nobody killed me or even a goat. It's your goat. Someone got your goat? All right. Let me ask you all a question. Let's just throw something out there. Anybody in this room right now wake up this morning with an indoor toilet? Now, I'm just going to get in your business a little bit. 5% of the world's population live in the United States of America. You are the most blessed people on the planet. If you, if you don't understand this, I, I've been to Haiti. They don't have a bathroom. They got a path. And they got a bush. And if you don't know where to go, just find where all the, all the droppings are behind the bush. They ain't got no toilet. They got a path. Now, I've been to Guatemala before where every morning the, the, the women get up and there's a 55-gallon drum out by the road where a truck comes by and puts water in it. It's got tadpoles in it. It's got amoebas in it. It's got stuff swimming in it. But that's where they're dipping their water and going into a house with a, with a dirt floor and no AC and no heater. Their children are sleeping in one room and the flies and the mosquitoes are in their eyes and in their mouth. And this lady's raising her children in that atmosphere and they're happier than we are. I was in Africa one time and, and it was something that shocked me was the, the lack of cars on the road. Well, the road, there's no pavement. It's just a dirt, but there might be 10 cars, but everybody's walking. And so Pastor Opicho came here and we're riding down the road and he says, where is everybody? Because in Africa, the streets are full. Everybody walks everywhere. And I said, well, they're at Disney. <laughs> if you want to see people walking around, you're going to have to go to Disney. And that's what I told him. And he was shocked at all the cars. And I've brought people over here who walk in a, rest, in a restaurant with food and they start crying. And they said, I know there's that much food in the world. And I was in India. Do you know what they eat for breakfast? Rice. No salt, no pepper, no gravy. Rice. You know what they eat for lunch? Rice. You know what they eat for dinner? rice and they're glad to have it when's the last time you walked in there and your your spouse looked at you and said here's dinner and you're like what we had this last month (laughs) 
What is bad temper? Bad temper is just a bad attitude. Somebody owes me. You forgot who you are and where you came from. We ought to be the happiest people on earth. Born again, your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Born again, tongue-talking, devil-chasing, holy-rolling Christians. We ought to be the happiest people on the earth. And yet, for the most part, we're the most unhappy people. I mean, somebody done me wrong. You just wouldn't believe it. Driving down I-4 yesterday afternoon, the guy cut me off. I actually had it happen. I was going down someplace, and I mean, there, there was an, I was, I was illegal. I was so close to the car in front of me, I was about from here to Mabel. And a guy pulls in front of me. And, he's, and I saw him coming down the interstate, and I'm already speeding. Well, not bad. 70 is 74. You understand? I already know they don't stop you for a little grace. I know that. So I'm following along behind this guy. And this guy, I can see him coming. Right in front of me. Well, I almost said something. When I thought to myself, I know why people have road rage. Hey, you numb nut, what are you doing? You trying to kill everybody on the road? And so I backed away to give them some space. He didn't get anywhere any quicker. Anyway, that's enough of that. But you know, I was working on this sermon, or other than that, I'd have said something. <laughs> it's terrible to read the Bible when you, before you get on the interstate, because you... Because it says love's not easily provoked. And I thought, you're provoking me. <laughs> well, I just started thanking God I had a truck. I started thanking God that I'm sitting there listening to Mark Hankins. I'm thanking God that I have an air conditioner in my truck. Listen, you, there's no reason us to get all bent out of shape over what we don't have. Why don't we start getting happy over what we do have? Easiest thing in the world to run around ticked off all the time. Folks, it causes, that's what's causing your body to be sick. Yes. Now, I'm going to tell you all the story. Teresa did this, and we ought to do it again one day. She came in here one day, and she brought rice. She brought two, was it jars, Lisa, of rice. It is one of the neatest things I have ever seen in my life. And he took one rice, and she said, I talked ugly to it. Now, you rice, I hate you. You ugly. We wouldn't eat you. You sorry, good for nothing, trash. And she's talking trash to this rice. Like, you know, you're thinking, don't let anybody watch me because this is crazy. Put the lid back on it, set it off in the corner. Then she goes up to the other rice and goes, I love you. I love rice. You so beautiful. How long was it? About a week? The rice you talked ugly to is black. It talk, in a few days, it turned black. From, from, I mean, it is, it is withering and dying right in front of your eyes. But the other white rice was fluffy and white and beautiful. What, just, what do you think's happening around you when you're walking around ticked 
all the time. The kids, these kids come in his house and my husband comes in here and he comes in late and he don't have any respect for me but you need to take the trash out. What's wrong with you? You need to take the trash out. Don't look at me so guilty. What do you think that's doing to you? What do you think it's doing around you? What do you think it's doing in your home? And you come in here, I need prayer. Yeah, we all need prayer. We need prayer for this more than we do need prayer for, if you'd fix this, you wouldn't have the other problems. Boy, I'm preaching good. Love is not provoked. It does not have a touchy attitude. You know, some of y'all need to quit giving people a piece of your mind. You're running out of brain. Yes. <laughs> Go to Acts 16. <laughs> now, I said this when I started, and I told y'all, I warned you. You got to put this on. This don't jump on you. You don't just wake up tomorrow morning going, I've overcome all provokes. No, you have not. No, you haven't. You got to learn how to carry. So let me ask y'all a question. If God is for you, is he for you? Is he on your side? Then act like it. I mean, there's no, listen, if, if you're in faith, there, the way you know you're in faith is joy. The way you know you're not in faith is that you're ugly. That's how you know you're not in faith. It's how you know when you are in faith because when your eyes are on Jesus, you're happy. And when your eyes are not on Jesus, you're not happy. So the problem is not what's going on around you. The problem is inside of you. The problem was inside of the son. He's going, this boy has a farm. He has a father. He has all, everything and he's pouting and he's causing everybody to be miserable because he is. The world is miserable right now. You get on Facebook, everybody's mad. I'm not going to get mad with you. I have a scripture that says rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. My name is written down. There's a book in heaven. Got my name written, Daryl Morgan, right there. Hallelujah. It don't matter what happens. If God, he's got my name, he gave me his spirit, he gave me his life. And you know what? I think I'm going to get happy about that. <laughs> Why are you so happy? Hallelujah. You knew where I was going when I die. Hallelujah. All right, now let's go. We got one more scripture. Go to Acts chapter 16. We just got one more thing we got to talk about today before we turn you loose. Is this okay? Do y'all understand how this could actually help you? Yeah. I don't know whether I told the story this time or not, but when Lisa, when Lisa and I first got married, she had problems with me. 
Now, I don't know whether y'all noticed this or not, but we came from two totally different backgrounds. I came from a good family, and so did she. Now, what's wrong with y'all's thinking? What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> no, I was a little more country than Lisa, and she's a little more city. But, but you know, Leggett's don't, they don't even, they don't, they don't cook the way we cook. Leggett's, their cornbread is as skinny as a postage stamp. You don't, you don't cut it in half because there ain't no half to cut. I mean, it is, it is, it is the top and the bottom is one piece of cornbread. There is nothing in the middle of the cornbread. And I got it out and I flipped it over and I asked, what is this? And she told me it's cornbread. Well, I've actually gotten to where I like it, but. But in, but in the Morgan home, we have yellow in between our cornbread. And you can cut it and put butter in there, and then it's hot and it's good. And I'm, so, so you understand, we didn't do cornbread the same. The legged cornbread don't look like Morgan cornbread. But I found out the Morgan cornbread will make you fat, and the legged cornbread won't. But there was other issues between us when we got married. And, and so, so, and of course, mine were all noble. But anyway, so, so Lisa, when she got married to me, she was quite shocked at some of the things that I did versus the way she was raised. So she went to her mother one day and she gave her mother this rundown. I, I, can't, I can't do this. She said, what's the problem, honey? Now, let me tell you something. When your daughter comes running to you, you need to send them home. Go work it out, baby. Don't come running to me. But anyway, Lisa's mother was a very wise woman. She said, well, you get a piece of paper and you write on it what you don't like about him. And she did. There's two things. One, she wrote them in red ink too, baby. Four things. I only remember two of them. I provoked her, didn't I? I provoked her. See how she got provoked? All right. So she says there's four things. So there's four things. And her mother said, flip the paper over. Now write what you like. And honestly, she said, I filled the paper up and asked for another piece of paper. There was more good in me than wrong. And then her mother kindly told her, hush and go home. You have a good man. And that was wise. That's wise. You can, you can spend your life focusing on the four items or you can focus on the 12 that were good, or the 20. I think it was 30 or 40 or 50. 26 lines. But that is true, isn't it? And I'm going to tell you something right now. There are times when you do need to count your blessing, what you have. I, I told Tiffany, I'm going to write her husband a letter. I'm going to say, you have a good woman. You better, better bless this woman. Anybody to make a fish, she can make a tilapia taste like a bass, man. She can make it taste like grouper. That woman can cook. And, man, you have a woman that cook. You need to kiss her and buy her diamonds. You need to, you need to treat her good. Listen, and a woman who cleans the house. That, thank God for what they, what they do right. Amen. But we spend too much time on stuff that doesn't matter anyway. Joyce Myers made a statement one time. She said, my husband never buys me an anniversary present. I thought, that wouldn't work in my house. But she said, but he's such a good man. 
And I learned something. I went, wow, she has a good attitude. <laughs> Buy your own self an anniversary present. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Some of the women are going, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's look at this right here. Let's have a little bit more fun before I turn you loose. Paul and Silas are out preaching. In verse 8, it says, when they'd gone through Pagiria in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word of God. And they went to Mystia and tried to go to Bithania, and the Holy Ghost wouldn't permit them. So they passed Mystia and came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia pled with him and said, come to Macedonia and help us. And after they saw the vision, immediately they sought to go, concluding the Lord called them to go there. So Paul has had what, a dream or a vision? Okay. Now, so they get on a ship, they take off down there. In verse 16, it happened that they, as they went to prayer, they met a demon-possessed girl who had a spirit of divination, brought her masters much gain by fortune. They followed him around, and Paul cast the devil out of her. Okay, verse 22, the multitude rose up together against Paul and Silas. The magistrates tore off their clothes, commanding them to be beaten with rods, and they had laid many stripes on them, and they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, you put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. Now, it's midnight. Silas looks at Paul and says, Paul, let me ask you a question. You have a vision from God, or was that pizza? Because I have a complaint. Now, the last time I went with you on a trip, we got shipwrecked and ended up on an island where you got bit by a snake. The one before that, we went in the city and they ran us off. And then the one before that, they actually stoned you to death. He said, I don't know whether you noticed this or not, but I'm not sure you're hearing from God because you're just the most unlucky human being I've ever met. And then I don't know why I'm even running around with you. If we get out of this mess, I'm not sure we're ever going to, they're going to kill us. But if we get out of it, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem and get my job back because I've never been around anybody with, that has so much trouble in my life as you. Well, y'all looking at me like that. Is that what it says? No. You know, that's not what it said. That's what you said. No. Do you ever notice that no matter what happens, that we can find something wrong? Now, how do you know when you're in faith? Is there a God? Is he taking care of you? Let's read it rightly. At midnight, in the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Yes. I'm going to tell you how you know. When there's joy on your face, you're in fellowship with God. Circumstances are not creating what you're doing. Your bad attitude is your bad attitude. The circumstances are not creating it. When you push a tube of toothpaste, toothpaste comes out. When you push an angry person, anger comes out. It isn't the push, it's what's in there. And they pushed Paul and he sang. That's good preaching, Pastor. What's in him? What's in his heart in abundance? The love of God is shed abroad in his heart by God the Holy Ghost. He's so full of God, you push him, and all you're getting is a song. 
They nailed Jesus to the cross. And while he was up there, he took his feet and he shoved against the nails and turned around and started witnessing to the men on the cross with him. He was more concerned about the soul of the man dying next to him than what just happened to him. Then he starts talking to John about taking care of my mom. What's in Jesus? That's what came out of him. Love's not provoked. It's not easily provoked. I'm almost done. How many of y'all think that maybe we might want to work on our love walk just a little tiny bit? Tiffany's got both hands in the air and her earrings are jumping. Amen. Hallelujah. And Shantae's going, amen. Preach it to my mom. Preach it to my mom. This is not something easy to do. We've been raised in an atmosphere where everybody feels like they've got to say something. Man, you, you just to say something to somebody, always on something, always complaining. All, and God hates complaining. Children of Israel came out of Egypt, and all they did, it said, was complain. You brought us out of Egypt, and you brought us through the Red Sea. You brought us out here in this desert, ate these stupid crackers, hate these crackers. Then at night, we laid in the sand, hate the sand. <laughs> then we got the snakes out here, and we hate the snakes. And then you brought us a man in and we don't let us eat it on a Sunday and you make us sit in our tents on Sunday. We hate that too. We hate everything about what you did. We're going back to Egypt. At least we got to eat leeks and what we was in bondage, but at least we got to eat onions. You imagine God sitting up in heaven going, shut up. I think he's looking down on us and going, shut up. Just shut up. <laughs> Anybody in here ready to get happy about something right now? Count it all joy. Now you woke up this morning and you sat on a toilet. Hallelujah. And you slept in a bed last night with a pillow on it. Hallelujah. And then you had a paddle fan over your head keeping you cool. Hallelujah. And then you got up this morning and went and opened up a refrigerator with food in it that wasn't eaten by one. Hallelujah. And you got up and you had some eggs and you had some bacon. And you probably, if you had oatmeal, if you wanted to have it. But anyway, you had some oatmeal with some raisins. And then you had a pot of coffee. Then you got up and you got in a car and you turn on the air conditioner and if it was raining outside and you didn't get wet and you drove here and you walked in and the church is good and the pastor is handsome. <laughs> Woo, why are you laughing at me? You shall know the truth and the truth will make you mad. Hallelujah. What in the world are you upset about today? You didn't wake up in the jail or hell today, did you? <laughs> you can find something to be happy about, can't you? Yeah, we all can. We all can. And I'm going to tell you something. For your health, I went to the doctor once, and I paid him $500 to tell me this. I told him I want my money back. I read that in the Bible. Dr. Don Colbert looked at me one time and he said, you have been angry, hadn't you? I said, yes. 
said, here's your prescription. I want you to go home and get some red skeleton tapes. I got to help. Catherine, I just lost half the crowd. Do you know who Red Skelton is? Oh, yeah. Do you know who Red Skelton is? All right. Okay. You know. I know you know who Red I know y'all don't have a clue what I'm talking about, Red Skelton. He said, I want you to go home and get some videos where that, that make you laugh. You need to get happy. I went. And then he handed me the bill, and I went. I paid you $500 to tell me to get happy. <laughs> you made me mad. <laughs> I came home and I started downloading everything I could to start laughing. Are y'all out there? I'm going to tell you, this is big. Love is not easily provoked. You've got to guard your heart that you're not going to allow stuff to get under your skin to where you're always retaliating and getting upset about everything. Next time you do, don't you think about the rest of this world. Think about, I love the Maybell story. You think about this precious girl sleeping in a car with no food. If I'd have known it, I'd have brought her some food. Man, I, but we didn't know about it. We didn't know anything about her, but God did. And you know what? All of your life, you remember that. I understand this, guys. When I got born again, I lived in a house with no heat and air conditioning. We cut firewood in a pot-bellied wood stove. We had mosquitoes in the room at night. We had a bathroom where you could look at the stars because the part of the roof was missing in the shower. Folks, I remember living like that. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not living like that now. And every bit of that, God brought me out of all of that. I'm happy. Amen. I think the world is waiting to see you happy, full of joy, rejoicing in the Lord. Amen. Anybody in here feel like repenting? Come on now. I want you to make a statement with me. I want you to make a statement with me. Say, my days of being easily provoked are over. I'm not going to blame it. On my nationality, where I was born, or my spouse. I'm going to be happy in Jesus' name. Love is not provoked. And the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. If Paul can sing in jail, then I can sing too. Amen. Thank you for listening to this powerful message by Pastor Daryl Morgan. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.